With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham SC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. It is the Thursday Club. Today we'll do the final word on the defeat against Spurs on Monday. There's some transfer rumours. Will Cedric Suarez be joining Fulham? We'll look ahead to Saturday's FA Cup fourth round match against Sunderland. And then there's a load of emails and this will catch on at the end. It'll have to go some to be uh, better than last week's. This will catch on. We will wait and see. And the full Thursday Club lineup has returned today. Jack Collins, hello. Hello, Sammy. Hello, listeners. How are you? Good, thank you. And he was injured in the warm-up last week, but he's fully fit, raring to go. Peter Rutzler, how are you doing? I'm, I'm really good, Sammy. I'm really good. Sorry about last week. I was caught up. Uh, we, we agreed a time and I didn't make the time. <laughs> it's more like missing the bus, isn't it, rather than uh, being injured in the warm-up. These things happen. You're a busy journalist tracking down exclusives, hunting down the big stories, chasing those headlines. These things happen. It's, uh, I guess, a, a price to pay for having uh, for having you on the pod occasionally. Yeah, indeed. indeed. You big me up nicely there, so I'll take that. Uh, we'll come on to uh, some of the transfer exclusives in a minute. But um, be interested to get both your thoughts on the Spurs game on Monday. I mean, Jack, it was just a... Just one of those nights, wasn't it? Where I just came out of it. Part of me wondered why I bothered. All the delays in getting there. I had delays getting back as well. No one told me that the A3 was closed. Um, The referee decided to take 10 minutes to get the game started. It was freezing cold. Spurs just did a low block and did a number on us. All in all, it was definitely not one for the scrapbook. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a great night at the office, but I I think I you know I tweeted at the time one of those right that that's what it felt like one of those nights where it didn't happen we were a little bit off the pace we were a little bit unlucky we were a little bit lacking in composure in the final third and, and just the ability to play that final ball um, and it wasn't hugely anything that I'm concerned about I think the only real shame about it is that Spurs felt very beatable they didn't mm. look great. Um, I do think that maybe there is a little bit of an emotional hangover going on. And I think this is, you know, one of those things that, that happens. But naturally, the high of that first win against Chelsea since 2006 last week goes straight to Newcastle, where you defend really well for 89 minutes and then concede in the final minute after kind of working so hard to get a point at one of the hardest places to go in the Premier League this season. I do wonder if there's just a little bit of a, uh, just after all of that. And and I do think that once the Sunderland game comes through this weekend, obviously it's going to be a tricky fixture, but you'd imagine there'll be some rotation. I'm sure we'll come onto it. And then you go to Chelsea away again and suddenly all that hype builds back up. I think Fulham will be fine, but I just think it was one of those where maybe the energy levels were low, both on and off the pitch. I, th- I thought, you know, in the in the stands, the energy felt low as well. That was probably to do with the the trek that most people took to get there and, and the round the houses routes that people had to take the delay to kick off etc etc so yeah nothing to worry about but uh, a little bit of a shame because Spurs just didn't look very good as far as I was concerned no Peter I wondered if and uh, look, I've not watched Spurs a million times this season but I've seen them a number of times and we've seen their struggles and under Antonio Conte and I've been hugely surprised that they have struggled so much given the pedigree that Antonio Conte has um I'm sure someone that watches Spurs every week would be able to confirm this or not. But I wondered if that's the kind of performance that actually Antonio Conte has been trying to do all season, where it was just get in front, hold on, dogged, determined, all the tactics in the book. And it hasn't paid off for them very much this season. But on Monday, they just... I thought they executed their game plan exactly how they wanted to, um, despite not playing that well it was one of those ugly wins that it feels like Antonio Conte revels in yeah it was a bit more classic Conte wasn't it I'd say more the second half than the first because I thought they were 
you know, pretty intelligent in the way that they um, managed that, that that game, managed their lead. And, and I think that's what Conte was was renowned for and, and is renowned for with, with his league title wins. It's getting in front and staying in front and becoming very difficult to break down. And and we saw that. Um, we saw that that feisty element, that... that uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm, I don't want to be too, you know, because it was a frustrating half, I think, from a Fulham perspective, wasn't it? Um, the dark arts, that's the one where Fulham have, Fulham have tried those themselves in recent weeks. So, um, but yeah, it, it was very much that. I, I don't think he'd be too happy with the first half. It felt a bit lethargic. It felt a bit loose, a bit scrappy. They're a better team than what they showed in that first period. Um, I think they were a bit overwhelmed by Fulham's intensity. Um and of course, they did play City on on Thursday afternoon, afternoon, and of course that was a, uh, a a draining experience as well because they had a two 0 lead that they let go. So maybe you can be forgiven there. And I think in that context, it's yeah, it's a very good win for them. It's one of their best wins of the season, really, if you take it based on where Fulham are on the table. I, I know they beat Brighton, I think, as well. So yeah. they need those kind of wins to sort of kick on, and they're still you know in the Champions League spots in in, in and around those, and, and in the Champions League in the FA Cup. You know they 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 still got a lot to to fight for and a lot of quality in there, but um yeah, first half not so much, second half yeah, much, much more classic Spurs. Yeah, I wonder if Jack, this might have been the last two games, almost a tiny bit of a reality check. And you look at our position now in the table, whilst it is still seventh, if you look at teams below us that have played fewer games and are basically on the same amount of points, I think that maybe our true position of what I think is about ninth, 10th this season in the league is going to start formulating in a while, which is still fantastic. We still have to remember that like, whilst these have been heady days for the past month, we've, we've loved it. Probably our true position in the league this year is probably about middle of the table. And that is still just the biggest achievement. If that is what it ends up being for the rest of the year. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's it. You know, we, we shouldn't, we, we shouldn't kind of stop ourselves dreaming because there are, these moments and and these opportunities still to be had you know you look at the run of games that fulham have you know in april and you know we were we're talking about this and it goes bournemouth away west ham at home everton away leeds at home villa away Hmm. there's no reason that in the current way that the fulham are performing we can't win all five of those games you know and so wherever fulham end up you know end of march you know even middle of march end of february Got to be aware that that's a run of fixtures that could fall really nicely into Fulham's hands if if things are still tight and there's still you know that opportunity to be looking up the league rather than down it. Now, I think we were in this position where you know Marco Silva continually reminds us that the number one priority for this season is to stay in the Premier League, and he's absolutely right. Um, I went on a channel on your YouTube a couple of weeks back, James Alcott's channel, where he'd asked for everyone for a head and a heart prediction. For where Fulham would finish this year. And I said that in my head says Fulham will still finish 11th, 12th. And that I would have bitten your hand off for that in August. I would have absolutely snatched at that with both hands. And and that doesn't change the fact that my my kind of heart still says seventh, why not? Because I, I think that possibility is still in the in the stream. But yeah, I, I think in terms of if the reality check is that Fulham are getting beaten by narrow margins in relatively even games against teams in the top six, this division, that's a reality check. I will gladly take. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed the, uh, 538's projected table. If you're not aware of the 538 projected table, it effectively gives the probabilities for certain things happening. And so, um, Arsenal are 63% to win the premier league, Man City are 34%. Um, Everton are 68% to go down while a team like Wolves are 37. Fulham are in the middle of this table, under 1% to get relegated, under 1% to qualify for the Champions League and under 1% to win the Premier League. So looks like quite a bore, it looks like quite a mundane season for Fulham. We're just, we're not going to do anything, which is absolutely what the doctor ordered um, at the start of, of the season. Um, Peter, what was kind of Marco's reaction after the game? Um, I imagine he would have been frustrated. I know a lot of fans were a bit frustrated with Marco with how some of his substitutions played out. So yeah, I was interested to hear what uh, what he had to say after the match. Yeah, I think he was a bit, you know, like everyone, frustrated. Um, he was very pleased with the first 40 minutes of the game and I think rightly so because of the way the team sort of dominated Spurs. I mean, it was it was that, wasn't it? It was 
it was one it was one sided. I think I tweeted at one point, and it it felt that way, and that's that's really impressive. And I think it seems to always seems to get lost. I suppose our expectations have changed so much, and even when you were saying about everything being under one percent, I mean, bloody hell, I would have bitten your hand off for that. Yeah, when I think about what it was like two years ago, staring at those massive percentages, <laughs> trying to avoid relegation. Yeah, so he yeah, it was it was happy the first forty minutes. Um, that sort of five minute spell. Uh, towards the end of the half, um, he was sort of unhappy about, he felt that the team sort of lost control unnecessarily. Um, I sort of focused on that on my on my piece after the game, which was that basically, I mean, it, it really did feel like nitpicking, to be honest, because it had been so good, but it was just keep giving the ball back to Spurs, allowing them to sustain an attack. And eventually, if you do that with players of that quality, they're going to score. That's how the, you know, the big six can make those margins count. Um, second half, thought they lost, he said they thought they lost energy and dynamism, which was interesting because, you know, a lot of feedback, particularly in my discussion page on, on The Athletic, um, and you would have seen it from, from supporters generally, was the sense that maybe you could have done some subs earlier. Um, and it, it doesn't always do them earlier. It seems to be quite a, a trend, really. He has made subs that changed games. We've talked about how Tom Kearney's had an impact, um, and that ha- that's happened quite a few times, actually. Um, but with this one, I think the way that Manor Solomon came on and added that spark of energy and excitement. I think that 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 stuck in the mind, didn't it? Because it had been such a, a drag of the half that when when that happens, it's like, oh, I'd like to have seen, seen him a bit more. And I think hopefully we'll see more of him from the FA Cup this weekend because it seems like he's back, he's fine. It's just about building minutes now. And But yeah, in, in terms of Silver, that, that was sort of his reflections on it. So clearly there was an awareness that Fulham had ran out of steam, as, as Bobby Reid put, put it to me afterwards. But yeah, it may, maybe there could have been an element of reshuffling earlier. But even then, I mean, breaking down that Spurs block would have been difficult for any team. Yeah, it felt like Jack Fulham just kept trying the same trick over and over again, which was generally go down the left. Um, Robinson and William trying to carve something out between them. Spurs mostly read it, although there was a few breaks. It just We've, we've seen it a few times this season where Fulham are struggling. Um, it's just try the same thing over and over again. I guess football is kind of repetitive in some of its patterns of play, but occasionally it feels like one every three or four games, Fulham just slightly run out of attacking ideas. And you know what? It's not it's not the end of the world as long as it stays at that ratio and this doesn't become something that happens every week. But I mean, it was just cry. It was crying out for fresh blood, wasn't it? From a lot earlier than the 80th minute when when Marco finally decided, oh, okay, I might might throw a, do a roll of the dice here. Yeah, I think that's that's probably easy to say. Um, the the thing is that you know that these are players, and and I, I would point out Willian here, who has been so brilliant all season that I'm loath to criticise him. But I, I didn't think he had a great game, especially in in that second half. Uh, just kind of feeling like the ball was stuck in those areas without actually coming into any dangerous points, as you say, and, and not being able to find those breaks, which is fine. And so obviously the kind of move felt like bringing Willian off. And, and bringing someone on to make that difference. But we also are well aware that Willian is the kind of player that can have that spark in their locker to make something happen out of nothing. And so therefore you can kind of see why Marco persists with leaving a player like that on because if someone's going to create something out of out of thin air, Willian's been a pretty good bet this year for, for Fulham to, to make that happen. And and so it kind of, it, it's one of those double-edged swords in many ways. Me and my friend John were having a discussion on the way back because I thought Bobby Reid, did okay, and he said he thought Willian was was actually probably better than Reed. He thought that, that that Bobby should have come off earlier, and I kind of came to the conclusion that so much of our attacking thrust goes down that left hand side with with Willian and Robinson that sometimes it's hard to kind of judge what a player on the opposite flank is doing. And obviously, we saw Solomon come on and actually basically drift over to that side in order to try and make things happen. And I thought that was interesting in the way that Fulham looked to pummel one side of the pitch rather than, you know, switch it up in, in, in many ways. And actually, I thought Bobby created a lot down the right in that first half or, or at least contributed to build up down that right-hand side. We didn't see so much of that in the second half. So I can see why Marco waited. I can see why he left the players that looked like they were flagging on for a little bit longer but I can equally see why people were calling for changes. I thought actually the sub that I thought hindered us at the time and then it did change it was when he brought Tete off, brought Wilson on, then put Robbie, Bobby back to right back. Felt like you lost Kenny Tete's impetus and just general like know-how at right back. I think we know that Bobby's an okay right back, but that seemed like a substitution that hindered us for a little while. Then he brought on Solomon and that, that was meant that suddenly we went to that three at the back. Then that's when it suddenly got exciting for... 
five or six minutes. Yeah, but that, that's, ki- that's kitchen sink stuff, right? That, that, that yeah. is literally like, oh, well, we're one nil down. We may as well chuck something at this and, and hope it sticks. And if we can Kinda see it works, one. though, I thought another few minutes and like there was openings being created. And sure. I, it's actually the person I thought was brightest was Vinicius. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I actually thought thought he did very, very well when he came on. But yeah, look, I don't think it's anything to worry about. I can understand why he made that decision. But equally, I think if you've got Tete's ability to cross from deep, whilst Robinson is hitting the byline on the other flank, then you give varied approaches to trying to get the ball into the box. And with Bobby back there instead, you maybe lose a little bit of that. So that that was my thoughts on it. But, you know, I can completely understand why those changes were made. It felt like he was trying to bring attacking impetus in the game by by bringing Robbie, Bobby to right back. Um, and it just didn't quite have the effect that maybe it was, it was desired. Peter, let's move on to some transfer rumours or transfer rumour because there doesn't seem to be many more, much more than one um, at the moment as far as uh, Fulham are concerned. Some of our Premier League rivals uh, spending a bit of money. Fulham choosing to be a bit more cautious uh, in the transfer window, which which makes sense given our position in the table compared to uh, some of our rivals who are in a bit more of a perilous position. Um, and it's Cedric Suarez and reports coming out from other papers today. Uh, James Olley uh, uh, was, was saying earlier how it, it seems imminent that it's going to happen. Um, it will be a season long loan with no obligation to buy uh, 100k a week wages that Fulham will pay, uh, according to James. I, I know that your understanding is a little bit different as to where this transfer is, but it's certainly it's progressing well as far as I can tell and, and moving closer. Is that is that your understanding? Yeah, I think it's been obvious that Cedric has been Fulham's first choice for a while. He's he's worked with Silver at uh, Sporting uh, during the year that, that Silver had there. I think they won the Portuguese Cup that year and um, I, I think the direction of travel is clear with this one. Um, the only issue I think is with uh, regarding the loans, um, and I think unless that's sorted, it it can't be done. Um, uh, we reported a few days ago that you know Fulham and Arsenal were in talks uh, with a permanent and loan transfer on the table, um, and I know today there's been a lot of reports that have moved it forward. I, I don't believe it's done just yet. Um, don't think anything's materially changed from what we reported. Um, the key issue is, you know, as we mentioned in that piece, is that you can't have free loans on the books. So uh, free Premier League loans, that is, that's free loans from Premier League clubs. So if this deal for Cedric is to be a loan, then one of Dan James or, or Shane Duffy will have to see their loans either cancelled or made permanent. It'll be one or the other. You can't have free um, and I'd imagine if it did go that way on the on the loan route, then it would probably be a permanent for one of those two. You know, as, I don't think Fulham would want to lose either James or Duffy at this point. Um, Silver likes having four central defenders, um, and James still has a role to play, as we've seen. Um, so loan loan isn't straightforward, really, unless you know, say Cedric joins permanently. Um, that's probably a bit more straightforward. Um, but, but the long and short of it, it looks like this move will happen. You know, it seems like everyone's pointing in the same direction. Uh, just the when and the how is not not yet clear for for me anyway. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you this, Pierre. I mean, you, you've you've touched on it there, but it didn't look to me like this is a squad that can lose a loan right now or, or lose one of those players. Now, whether that is one of those loans goes back and there's another deal in the pipeline, fine. But it would feel that either would potentially leave us light in terms of options, both at the back and and in, in attack. So when you're looking at it, obviously Shane Duffy's contract runs out with Brighton in the not so distant future. That seems to me like the kind of deal that would be easier to get over the line. And yet the kind of question mark remains, is Duffy willing to sign on a permanent when he's played so little football this season? There's lots of questions looking at it. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I don't think... I think you would presume it'd be moving towards a permanent than a, than a cancellation of one of those loans. Duffy makes sense. I mean, you could see Fulham taking over his contract, but um, again, you know, he's got to want to do that. And that means, you know, if he did have ambitions to play elsewhere this season because he hasn't played at all, um, then that would have to be considered. Um, and then the same with, 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 with Dan James, you know, Dan James hasn't played that much either, really, has he? Um, so... Yeah, it's not it's not a straightforward one. I'm sure they'll find a resolution to it, but I, I, I agree. I don't think Fulham are in a position really to 
to they, to lose one or one or the other. You know, we we talked about squad depth a lot, and James has had a, had a had a role to play. It just takes an injury to to Tim Ream and or one of the other two um, to suddenly you have a, a central defensive crisis. So um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it unfolds. But in terms of Cedric, I think it's it's clear that you know I'd expect that by the end of the window he'll be a Fulham player. Um, Jack, a lot being made of, of Cedric's wages, 100k, and, and if reports are to be believed, then Fulham will pay all of that. I mean, on one hand, I do always get the argument where people say, it's not our money, why do we care what players get paid? But it is also eyebrow raising that a backup right back for Fulham would be getting 100k. I don't ever associate Fulham with paying anyone 100k, although I think we now can be pretty confident that that some of our leading players like Mitrovic and stuff are at that level of, of money, but still it's eye-watering money. But then again, it's a couple of million pounds for a backup right back um, solution that if you, if you look at it holistically, but on the face of it, the, the headline of a backup right back for a hundred K is, is pretty eye-watering. Yeah, I mean, on on paper it is, and I can completely understand why why people are raising eyebrows, as as you put it, towards that kind of salary. Equally, I do think in these exact circumstances, with a six-month loan, you're looking at basically dealing with a a scenario here that's a little bit different. If Fulham had signed Cedric on a permanent deal and given him 100k a week, I think we could all sit here and be like, I'm not sure that that's the manoeuvre that I'd be going for. But if Marco is desperate for a right back short term, you know, obviously Fulham have been looking at some some interesting options um, in, in terms of what's gonna what's gonna happen uh, in, in terms of a long term option at right back, and and some interesting stories coming out of the Netherlands at the moment as well. Um, so ones to keep an eye on, but. Generally, I, I think if Silva's like, I need a right back that's going to be able to cover for the last six months of this season, who has experience for a Premier League run in as we get towards the sharp end of the season. We know that Tete's had a rough injury history and Silva clearly doesn't trust Kevin and Babu. I think Leno's not far off this in terms of, of what his wages looked to be at the start of the season. So you can understand someone coming in from Arsenal being on similar wages at, at this point. Um, and I, I think just because it's a short-term deal, I don't think it's huge amounts to worry about. If it was a long-term deal, I think we could all raise serious questions. But if this is what Silver wants in order to see himself over the line this season and just make sure that his squad is filled out where he wants it, I, I think kind of short-term, it's it's not that big of an issue. Uh, Peter, this time next week, the window will have uh, slammed shut. Um, all trademark to Sky Sports News. Do you expect it to just be Cedric Suarez or do you think there might be another signing or two if you've got your crystal ball out? Uh, I don't normally, I don't, I don't like making predictions on these things, but I, you know, they're, they're after at least two positions and I'd, I'd be surprised if they don't get covering the two positions, which, which I reported before, which is right back and central midfielder. Um, so I would imagine they, they will get both, but um we we know what it's like with deadline day. It's normally late, so um, we, we, we'll we'll see where we get to at that point. But you know, Cedric seems like it's going to progress, and then yeah, I, I think they will get a central midfielder as well. Yeah, it's going to be another one where I spend my birthday in the evening checking the tra- Fulham transfer news up until midnight, um, questioning my life choices. Um, Jack, uh, who do you think uh, if uh, maybe Peter, I can't put him on the spot with the signings, but uh, what, what, what do you reckon it's going to be this time next week? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it's, I think two will come through the door um, at, at Fulham. Now, whether that means that what, at least one leaves, I don't know, but I, I think two will come through the door and it does feel like those are the positions that Fulham really, really do need covering. Um, you know, everywhere else on the pitch, as the squad stands, it feels like we're pretty set, right? And and I think the emergence recently of, of Carlos Vinicius and obviously that big goal has helped to kind of calm the nerves around the striker element of what Fulham might need from another attacker. Now, whether that's revisited in the summer, I don't know. But for, for now, it feels like Fulham are in a place that you're like, okay, everywhere is pretty set. There's players itching to get on we're talking uh, a lot about the fact that we're, we're, we're talking a lot about the fact that Mana Solomon 
hasn't started a game really, you know, for Fulham. We're talking a lot about the fact that Harry Wilson can't fight his way back into the team. We're talking about Dan James on a loan, maybe not wanting to make that permanent because he hasn't been able to get in. I just can't see Fulham strengthening in those areas. Um, the talk about Josh Madger seems to have gone quiet. I think that's probably for the best, not because I think Madger's a bad player, but just because it just doesn't feel like the kind of mould of striker that Marco Silva is working with and would want to work with in this system. The only other thing I could maybe see, or, or at least maybe this is something to consider when we're looking for a, a, a midfielder, is that there does seem to be a lack of Andreas Pereira cover as much as there is Polinia cover. Um, mm. You know, there are moments where you go, well, who comes on for Andreas if we're trying to make things happen and he's not having a good game? And if we are chasing a game, it's tended to be one of the two deeper players that Tom Kearney has come on for to try and move Fulham into those attacking phases with his passing. And if Andreas is having a bad game, is there anyone who can sit in this 10 role and, and make things happen there? So I would just keep an eye on that, if, if an opportunity arises, then I wouldn't put it past for them to take said opportunity. Um, but yeah, I, I'm with Peter, really. I think it's two. I think it's a right back and a, a centre midfielder who can maybe rotate a bit with Harrison Reed. Well, the uh, Thursday Club next week will review everything that happens on transfer deadline day. Always some of my favourite pods when it's post-deadline day. We've got to wake up Peter because he's um, been up till five in the morning trying to write copy um, and we're just trying to work out who our new signings are. So uh, yeah, this time next week, uh, we'll do the debrief on everything that happens for Fulham on transfer deadline day. There could be some outgoings too. Um, we don't know. Not, not heard too much yet, but I'd be surprised if there isn't a player or two that at least goes out on uh, on loan. So we'll uh, we'll see. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd expect some some outgoings as well. Um, obviously, Kevin and Babu, we've we've talked about. I think you know the expectation is he'll go on loan if something can be done for him, especially with Cedric set to come in. And then you know Josh Onomar is another one looking to move after didn't quite make it happen in the summer. I think Silver actually said that in his press conference uh, last Friday. And then there'll be under twenty ones as well. So um, yeah, we want to keep an eye on. Yeah. Okay. Well, that pod next week will be uh, reviewing all of that. We're going to take a break afterwards. Let's look ahead to Sunderland in the Cup on Saturday. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast it is Sammy James on the Thursday Club with Jack Collins and Peter Rutzler. Let's look ahead then to Sunderland in the Cup. And I was thinking earlier, this is the difference between an early exit in the Cup and a Cup run for me, if you lose in the fourth round, you'd say, ah, oh, that's an early exit from the cup. If you get to the fifth round, I'd say that's a cup run. So this is the, uh, would you, would you agree with my sentiment there, Peter? No, you got to get to the quarters, surely. You think quarters is the definition of cup run? Well, at Fulham's level, yeah. I mean, if you're in League One or League Two, then yeah, fifth round. Fifth round's definitely a cup run. That's a good one. Okay. But- so fifth not- round, if you go out in the fifth round, it's just like nothing, basically. You didn't get an early exit, but also nothing to write home about. You were a participant, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Um, it's been defined. Um, Sunderland, and I don't know why, when, I, when this draw first came out, my thought was, oh yeah, it's a really good draw. And now, Jack, I'm a little bit concerned because yeah. I watched uh, Sunderland smash Middlesbrough last Sunday. Um, Sunderlona, the locals are calling them at the moment. They look absolutely brilliant. And I think maybe when the draw first came out, because we didn't play them last season, I still maybe saw Sunderland as a League One team in my head. And actually now they're, they're a championship 
playoff contender, absolutely. Um, if this was at the Stadium of Light, I'd definitely be worried. But lots of good players in there. And in Pat Roberts, who was, I think, their best player on Sunday against Middlesbrough, a man with a little point to prove back at Craven Cottage. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to see Pat Roberts doing well, isn't it? Generally, yes. it just it's, it's just good to see someone finally living up to their potential that had kind of dripped and drabbed away, I think, probably since he'd left Celtic on those loans. And when that didn't make Get made permanent, he obviously became quite nomadic. He, he travelled around the City Football Group sphere. I think he was at Trois. I think he was at Girona at one point. He went to Derby and Norwich and... It's good to see him back somewhere where he's loved and and back playing really, really well again. And, uh, you know, this is a front three. You look at that, you know, behind the striker, and we'll come on to Ross Stewart, but Patrick Roberts, Amad Diallo is obviously on loan from Manchester United, and Jack Clark, who'd obviously made that move to Tottenham before dropping down the divisions. Uh, that's a, 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 I think that's a midfield three that Premier League clubs have spent over 50 million quid on. So you actually, <laughs> you're, you're going to look yeah. at it and going, Oh yeah, no, they're, they're they're good players. They are, and 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 they are, and they really dovetail really nicely. I think Diallo and 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 Pat Roberts. I was talking to Graham Falk on the, on the What the Falk podcast, which is a Sunderland pod, about this, and it's nice to see the the way that they to, the two of them dovetail, the two of them, you know, dip in and out of of those central roles and the wide roles, and and yeah, it'll be nice to see Pat Roberts back. I hope he gets a good reception, um, and 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 it'd be good to see him thrive although obviously not too much um but yeah this is this is a really good side and look they they kind of went through this weird period last year lee johnson was obviously in charge at the turn of the year in league one they were top of the table then they had an absolutely dreadful january got through uh, a couple of things sacked lee johnson brought in alex neal who did a brilliant job to guide them back to wembley i think pat roberts scored the goal actually that sent them to wembley um, and then won the playoffs and so this year was supposed to be about consolidation and actually there's a little bit of parallel here right in between between Fulham and Sunderland in that both are higher in the table than they probably expected to be both are on the verges of you know the the places which would be for Sunderland a playoff spot and for Fulham a European spot this year but I think that generally the quality of the sides around them will probably tell towards the end of the season and, and the greater spending power and it kind of means that the competition looks a bit like a, for the first time in ages, you know, Sunderland have been expected to be promoted when they've been in League One uh, and often failed at that task. They've been scrapping for their lives in the championship. This is the first season for Sunderland as well as probably for Fulham in about a decade that they're like, oh, it's the turn of the year. And we're not like in <laughs> absolute chaos straights going one way or the other. And and so I think that this is quite an, an interesting matchup in that regard in that both teams are looking at the cup this year and going, yeah, why not? I, you know, why why couldn't we have a little cup run? What what's not to love about the idea of of making something happen in the FA Cup? Because the season is probably going to be okay in a league domestic sense, so it, it kind of opens up these options. So yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting game. There's some really good players in here. Uh, I'm I'm a big big fan of Dan Neal. He's come through Sunderland the academy. He's a homegrown lad, 21 years old. Mowbray's been talking about him trying to kind of keep the lid on the potential that, that Daniel has. Um, he's not doing a particularly good job of it because he keeps being like, yeah, he's a Premier League quality midfielder and comparing him to Michael Carrick. But he, he keeps being like, stop writing headlines. We want to keep him here. Uh, I think he's a Premier League player in waiting, to be perfectly honest with you. But this is a nicely balanced squad. It's going the right way. It's under a steady hand in Tony Mowbray. And they are definitely not to be underestimated as opposition here. Yeah, Peter, it's going to be a, a tough game, I think, for Fulham. Um, you haven't had the press conference yet, but I suspect Marco will go with quite a strong lineup. There will be changes, undoubtedly, and I think some of those changes will be welcome, particularly if it is the chance for Mana Solomon to get a full 90. Um, I did a lineup prediction for this on. Twitter yesterday I said it I, I was kind of like it might be Rodak it might be Leno in goal I'm kind of happy either way um, Robinson Tosin Diop and Tete um, I would go Polina and Kearney Pereira and then up front Solomon Wilson and then probably Vinicius because we don't know what the state is of, of, of Mitro's um, fitness but it didn't look good at the end of the Spurs game Um do you reckon that Marco will go for more or fewer changes than that? I think it'd be relatively similar to Hull. I think Hull was stronger than 
well, at least I anticipated, at least in terms of the traveling squad. Um, and I imagine we'll see similar, um, providing whatever happens with, with Shane Duffy, he's, he's around, he's, he's back fit after, after illness. So he, I mean, he could get his first start conceivably. I, I'm sure Vinicius will play. I can't see Mitrovic playing. I mean, even, even if he even was if it's, fit. Yeah. 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 I, I, you've got to rest him. And it's particularly after the fact that he'd had this injury before, there's just no need for him to play. And Vinicius, Vinicius has done okay. He's doing good. So why not give him another shot? Um, but general, I'd probably agree for the most part. Uh, maybe, maybe rest Palina as well. Hmm. But then aside from that, it'd be nice to try and see what's like Luke Harris or, um, or at least get, give him some, some, some good minutes because I think it's, I think it's quite important you get those opportunities. Um, and you know, with Sunderland as Jack outlined are doing very, very well in the championship. They're an exciting team. It's not going to be easy, but, uh, you know, for, for, for Harris's development, I think it's important that he, he gets those kind of moments. But yeah, I think in general you're right. I mean, uh, you I assume Rodek plays. I think Kazawa yeah, because yeah, Kazawa. Um, would you do you agree with that though? That that is the thing that we should do. Like whether he does or not, whether like is is kind of up to Silver. But see, I would I wouldn't I would play. I would understand. There's a couple of cases where like rotation's good. You know, Kearney coming in makes total sense. Solomon coming in, Vinicius for Mitro. Yeah, I get that. But like for me, I don't see why Robinson needs a rest. He got eight days. He had eight days between Newcastle and and the Spurs game. He didn't play. The, sorry, he, he had more than that. He didn't play the Newcastle game. So he had a massive rest between Chelsea and Spurs. Mm. If we went out and we didn't play some of our first teamers, players like Polina, I, I would think be pretty necessar- I don't think it's necessarily about giving Robinson rest. I think it's about giving Kazawa minutes. And and actually, the, these are important things to consider. Right? It, it's not necessarily here about if, if Fulham need Kazawa in this run-in, if Robinson pulls up in this Chelsea game with an injury, I would rather Kazawa had had more minutes than he has currently got in order to get himself back acclimatised to top-flight football. Like, that's where I'm at with it. I'm, I'm not necessarily looking at that as a, oh, we should rest Robinson for the sake of it. I'm, I, I think Kazawa needs minutes in the legs, and, and that's why I'd play him. You know, this is, this is a player, you know, we're, we're not looking here at, a, you know, giving a, I'm not saying give an 18 year old from, from the academy minutes here at left mm. back for the sake of resting Robinson. I'm saying get a player who has joined from PSG, who is a good caliber of footballer, even if he hasn't fall, has fallen off a little bit the last year. I'm saying give him minutes in case we need him towards the end of this season. I'm not being like, give Robinson a rest. Yeah. I get it. I just, I, I, I just think that that this is a team that like, and I just think that for that the cup is just so important this year. Um, and Jack, you said in the last round you don't want to replay this one. They definitely don't want to replay yeah. a trip all the way up to Sunderland um, uh, midweek would be um, a pretty uh, tough one. Although for the team I, I really, to take. I kind of really do wish this game was away. It would have been a really nice weekend. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I did the uh, Sunderland in the fourth round of the cup. Uh, I think it was about four or five years ago. We then lost the we then we drew at nil nil. We then lost the replay, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, that was a that was a fun trip up to the uh, to the Stadium of Light. Um, Luke O'Neill is uh, suspended uh, for this one for Sunderland. Uh, he's been playing uh, centre back most of the season uh, for them. He got sent off uh, when they lost to Swansea uh, a couple of weeks ago. So uh, Dan Ballard uh, deputised at centre back. Uh, for them, I think he played quite well in the uh, in the Borough games. So it doesn't seem to be a huge uh, drop off, but he was at Arsenal at one point. I'm pretty sure. What Dan Ballard? Yeah, pretty sure he was, he was at Arsenal. He's, he's Northern Irish, I think, but he's yeah. He has a couple of couple of Northern Irish lads in this side that are quite good. Corey Evans provides the the experience in midfield, but Ballard was was very highly touted as a youngster. He obviously hasn't quite reached the heights that were expected of him, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he was at Arsenal up to recently. In fact. Yeah. Well, um, we'll see how it goes um, on uh, on Saturday. It's a, a three o'clock kickoff. Uh, I know a lot of people will be using the opportunity of this one to uh, check out the Riverside stand. I think quite a lot of people have uh, decided to, to book that so they can uh, go up there for, for one game and uh, see what the view is. Is that what you're doing, Jack? Yeah, absolutely. 100% going to the Riverside stand for the first time. Very excited. Where are you sitting? Upper, lower? Upper. I'm sitting in the upper Riverside. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for the view. I'm excited to check out the facilities. Um, and yeah, this is all very exciting. So, so yeah, going to be in the, in the old riverside for the, for the first, and probably, no- and probably only time in my life. <laughs> 
There's going to be nobody in the Hammersmith end. It's just going to be the Putney end, which is going to be full of 6,000 um, Sunderland fans. The Riverside, which is going to be rammed. And then the Hammersmith end is just going to be a smattering of people because everyone's tried to, to crowd into the uh, into the Riverside. Um, it is a bit odd how all the stands are the same price uh, for this game. But uh, hey-ho, uh, we don't make the decisions. Uh, we'll see how we get on on Saturday. Right, we'll take another break there afterwards. We've got some of your emails and then this will catch on. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Let's look at some of your questions in the inbox. If you ever want to send us an email, hello at fulhamish.co.uk. We'll do this will catch on in a moment. Same email address if you want to send in any this will catch on submissions. But first of all, let's do some questions. And this is a topic that we briefly touched on last week, but now we think we have a bit more evidence. Um, this is from 30 frames. Uh, that's the only name I have here. It said the moment of superstar skill from Kane turned the Spurs game. Those are the breaks and Kane is certainly a quality player, but it started me thinking, when will we see that kind of game changing genius again from Mitrovic since his injury in September, there have been two moments where he looked like the colossus astride the league we saw last year. And at the start of the season in the premier league, he still seems a step slow and whatever had him limping at the end of the Spurs game surely won't help. This is not a criticism of Mitro. He seems to be doing his best, but he's either banged up, the higher level defenders have figured him out, or he's just having a run of bad luck. Combo of all three. The brief pause in his minutes during the FA Cup last round didn't improve his mobility and spark. Is one more off week going to do it now? Should Silver give him the entire month of February off? I briefly mentioned it, like do we need to start giving Mitro more rest in order to recover this foot? These kind of, oh, he's got a week off for the Sunderland game, presumably didn't seem to help him against, um, after he didn't play against Hull. I'm just starting to wonder, Jack, is there something more to this foot injury? Because it just does not seem to be going away. I think it would be, Hmm. it's one of those really strange ones in that it's hard to get a player to rest if they don't want to rest. You know, and Mitrovic is the kind of person, the kind of character that's going to want to play every game because he wants to score in every game. And he wants to play against top flight opposition. He wants to challenge himself. So giving him long periods of rest when he feels like he's fit is a very different question to giving him periods of rest if he feels like he needs that rest. And, and and that's where I think this is very tricky to determine because obviously we don't see what's going on behind the scenes, closed doors every day at Motspur. And so when Mitrovic is there being like, I want to play, it's quite hard to be like, nah, you're all right actually there, mate. And and I do think that there's probably a point in that he doesn't feel like he's completely at full fitness, but I, I also don't think he's miles off it. I don't think he's as much off it as maybe perhaps people think he is. I just think there's an element of how much we've been playing and, and, and what's happened of late that he just works incredibly hard early on in games and then looks a bit knackered towards the end of them. And and that's just some maybe something to do with the fact that the way that Fulham play, you know, he's been asked to, to track more. He's been asked to press more this season than perhaps he has been in the past. And those things are going to take a toll. Uh, maybe I'm looking at it differently, but I, I I agree with Jack. I actually thought in the first half against Spurs he was excellent. I thought he was brilliant. I, I thought he was so giving too. I thought he was giving Romero a really torrid time at the back. Um, he was winning every duel. He was smart. He, he doesn't just have to win the header. He'll, he'll play into defenders. He was switching the play really well. I, I thought he looked pretty pretty good. Like I thought it was top level Mitrovic probably the first time for a little while because he has been a bit off it. Um, wasn't amazing at Newcastle, penalty stuff aside. Um, I thought it was fine. I think, you know, second half, I don't, it, it wasn't exactly feeding on much in that second half period. And he was dealing with a back five that was sat in a five and then with a four in front of him, which is Hoybier and and Bentanker. So in terms of time on the ball, it would have been, it was, it was limited. Um, sure. I mean, you have to remember, it's, it's the calibre of opposition for once. He's not been 100% playing against, um, like you know Newcastle, and um, he's probably going to try and find his his match sharpness back because he's had these sort of batches of time off, hasn't he? You know, he's had this period playing with an injury, then he had a couple of weeks with the suspension. He's now going to have another couple of weeks. Um, so depending how he is, I, I don't think it's too serious from 
from the other day. He got a kick from from Dyer and, and Silver mentioned it was the same ankle. Um, but let's see. The, another little period to rest here, but I, I, I don't think it's, you know, Mitrovic does a lot more than score goals. And obviously, if he, if he scores goals, and maybe this conversation isn't had so much, but uh, I think his all-round play in the first half against Spurs was pretty good. I think for me, it's not necessarily the performances he's putting in. I think you just saw the way that he got hobbled off. It's the same ankle again, which just suggests to me that he's not fully healed. And yeah, he, he, he got kicked. Like he, li- he literally got kicked on the ankle. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like a recurrence or anything like that. It was just kicked on it. I mean, it looked painful in its own right if he hadn't already hurt it. And I imagine it was just hurt a bit more than the fact that he has hurt it before. Okay. That's my thing. It's just, I'm wondering if like he does need some healing time. And I mentioned it like, oh, is it the Spurs game? And and, Jack, and I kind of agreed that like, you can't not play Mitrovic, but I just wonder at some point if you have to bite the bullet and just give him the actual time off he needs. And this is the last break he'll reasonably get in the fixture schedule until the international break, which no doubt he'll want to go and bang in the goals for Serbia during that as well. So there probably won't be a, a gap there for him either. So at some point, do you have to bite the bullet and say, right, Mitrovic, you need a couple of weeks for this to properly heal or something like that. Just to save a, the last thing that you would want is to aggravate it to the point that suddenly he needs surgery or anything like that. And I guess my alarm bells rang when, when that injury happened at the end. But um, anyway, uh, next question from Brian Lake. He said, hello, Fulhamish. With the loss to Spurs and Newcastle and our last minute losses to Man U and Man City, is it time realistically to consider the fact maybe our overall quality, especially our bench, is just not good enough to keep us in serious consideration for a European spot this season? I am truly happy with the job Marco and the boys have done this season and I don't want to take anything away from that. Just curious on your thoughts. Keep up the great work. Love listening every week from Brian. Um, I guess we kind of touched on this a little bit, Jack, earlier. Yeah. Um, I just think that I still think that 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 kind of conference league, which can go down to eighth if the cups work and you know teams that win the cup have already qualified for Europe is. Can is it? A, I thought. Uh, I think it can go down to eighth. I thought it go. It's sixth. That it can go down to seventh as long as I, the cup winner is in one of the. I, I looked at the Premier League rules, and my understanding was that it can go to eighth if for the conference league. Okay. Um, all right, fair. Um, I, I, Which I, might, I might be wrong, but I does read that the need rules. an English team to win the Champions League and does, then finish yeah. outside the places? Yes, so I you do. need I five in the Champions League and then it all moves down. Yeah, that's I think exactly what it is. Well, I mean, it's not impossible. Go on, Spurs. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, seventh or eighth is possibly there. There's a lot of teams that are going to be fighting for that, though. So. Yeah, it's just like the European thing for me is like a bit of fun. That's that's all I can I can say right now. I don't realistically think it's a, a possibility. If I'd like to see what five thirty eight reckoned if they if they had a metric for that, what their percentage would be, I'd say maybe it would be like five ten percent. Yeah, I, I don't don't stop dreaming. Equally, I think people should not look back at this season as a failure if Fulham were to miss out on that. That that that's the only caveat I would probably add to it, but. You know, this, you know, it goes back to what was, we were talking about with the, the fixtures earlier, right? If Fulham are in touch, Fulham are a couple of points off by the end of March with that April to come, why not? Why not? If, if we're not, and, you know, we're looking a little bit further back at that point, we have to win those games just to make sure that everything is safe and secure. That's also fine. So, yeah, it don't, don't hold on it, but equally, let's just, let's just enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah. This next one from Tom Burrows. Not really sure this is a question, but I did actually see this and it's an interesting point. He said, not sure if you lads have seen, um, there's a Q&A video that Kearney did recently and immediately without hesitation, he answered Mbabu to who is most likely to be late for training. In some ways, this isn't too significant, uh, but I've always thought the Mbabu issue must go beyond performances for Silva and it's an attitude problem as he has only been given very tough situations so far. If show this shows to me something really important, Silva is happy to give chances and can forgive poor performances and give new chances, but you can't have that and a poor attitude. Two-part test. He thinks it's good management uh, and it's good to see the club in these hands. Is there anything in this? Now, obviously for us, it's complete speculation as to what Mbabu's attitude is like. Um, but I don't know if you saw that video Jack of, of Kearney saying it it was quite like um, it, it was almost he didn't have to think about it yeah, and then he kind of then he named a couple of other people who might have been late for training I think he 
I'm trying to think who he said now. That doesn't really matter. But um, I remember he said like, um, who's most likely to um, be in the gym all day? And he said, Mitrovic. And uh, he said, who's most likely to be a good manager? And he said, Harrison Reed thinks he'd be a good manager, but I don't think he'd actually be a good manager. It was a really funny little video. So you've got to take it in the context that it was. It was just one of those stupid throwaway social media videos. But yeah, there's obviously something more to the Mbabu case. I think we can be pretty sure about that. Let's just say it's not the first time I've heard rumours of Mbabu being late or absent from training. So I'll leave it there. But yeah, I would imagine that there's something going on there that that involves what's happening at the training ground. And yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't feel like there's a future, I think, at this point for Kevin Mbabu. And I'd imagine that his I wouldn't even I would I wouldn't go so far to say attitude because I have no idea what his attitude is like. But let's say application. Perhaps a Mosper Park hasn't been up to Silver's standards. Yeah. yeah, it's not something I've I've heard. I've always been told sort of the opposite, and I wouldn't want to speculate. Um, you know, Silver's mentioned him about training hard and, and things like that publicly, but you never know what goes on behind closed doors. But I think he hasn't played in games where you'd think he'd at least be given a, a run. So clearly, there's something. I, you know, can it just be tactical? I don't know, but. Um, yeah, I can't see him staying in this window. As, as I said, I'd expect him to go. Um, I, I did like that question though, Jack. Who do you think would make the best manager out of this uh, out of this Fulham team? My instant thought was Tim Ream. Mm, yeah, so was mine. But yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. Bobby Reed, probably. What can't Bobby Reed do? <laughs> Bobby Reed screams, assistant coach that can just do a bit of everything. Yeah. He could double up as the physio. He could he could help out with the pitch men if he needed to. Um, he he could be there as a shoulder to cry on. He'd there doing they're doing tactics. He'd be writing the note to Tom Kearney, um, telling him uh, which tactics to play. He'd be the utility man of the backroom staff. I think. Yeah, I mean Tim Ream is the obvious answer. Imagine Alexander Mitrovic is your man. You do what he told you. <laughs> you would do what he said. That's it. You, you ain't, you ain't going to mess around with his tactical instructions, are you? You're carrying them out to the T. I could see Alexander Mitrovic doing a Diego Maradona and just managing Serbia in a World Cup, and it would just be pure vibes. Pure vibes. Yeah, I'm into it. I, he'd probably win the World Cup as well. Knowing oh. Armicho. Knowing Armicho. Just going mental on the sidelines as well whenever they scored. Um, yeah, that's, that, that's up for it. Right, let's come on to this little catch on. And uh, we've got a few that uh, had already been sent in that we didn't have time to play last week. Peter, you missed... The drama of last week and um, you to mirror everything, Tom Kearney. My God, I, I didn't check my phone for most of Thursday evening and I just saw that Twitter went mad for it. Um, I did hear it at the, uh, at the Spurs game. It, it didn't quite catch on to the rest of the stand, but certainly the boys at the back of the hammy end gave it a good go. I think it needs an away game, but there yeah, was a what? classic moment where it, it, the most Hammersmith thing I've ever heard from the, from the Fulham end or the Hammersmith end thing I've ever heard um, in that the two bits of H5 and H4 were singing the, the different lines in between Tom Kearney's at the same time. And I was <laughs> like, how, how, how has this possibly happened? And I was like, the lads behind me were doing, you know, you uh, you were there when we were shite, whilst the other the other bit of H5 was singing you to me are everything. And I was like, <laughs> I'm going to bang my head against a big pillar and until until this stops. Um, but yeah, Peter, your thoughts on the uh, on the creation that's taken over the uh, the Fulham universe? The amount of messages I got last week from people I hadn't <laughs> spoken to in ages about it. Non Fulham fans were messaging me. I was like, it's not my song. Like, I'm not. I can't take any credit for this. Yeah, was, uh, I was. Yeah, I did listen back, and I was like, ah, that is that is an epic, an epic. This will catch on that I've missed. So um, yeah, deeply disappointing that to miss it, but yeah. You could see from the reaction from everyone, even Tom Kearney tweeted it, didn't he? So um, it's re- it's breached all barriers. Just needs to catch on better in the hammy end, as Jack described. I could I could sort of hear it from the Johnny Haynes, like really quietly, but then it just got drowned out, and then I just heard eight nobody. So yeah, as it hasn't reached the threshold just yet, but I think we'll get there. Needs in the way game, maybe Chelsea way, Bryson away. It, I think it. I think it will be there. Uh, right, this first one is from Henry Dixon. He said, "Hi guys, happy New Year." I've had brewing for a while a Metro chant to the theme song of Postman Pat. Oh, God. 
just play the thing. <laughs> Mitrovic, Mitrovic, Mitrovic in a black and white stitch. Scoring goals all season. FFC is cheating. Mitrovic, our special number nine. <laughs> I like the use of the word stitch for, an out, uh, for a kit. I was really wondering where he was going with that. I'm not going to lie. Um, I immediately thought, I was like, I wonder what he's going to rhyme this with. Um, <laughs> you know I mean, <laughs> it's simple, it's catchy. I think yep. it, has, it has, I mean, I don't think it's going to catch on. But I don't think it's miles off being something that might. <laughs> Surely not. Surely not. Yeah, I can't imagine a full um, full away end singing something to Postman Pat. <laughs> I mean, we've had some pretty weird tunes. We used to sing a song to the Teddy Bears picnic back in, in, in the old Tagana days. So if you go down to the Thames today, you're in for a big <laughs> surprise. <laughs> For Barry oh, no. Hales and Luis Sahara scoring goals for John Tiganar, today's the day that Barry will get his hat trick. Yeah. Um, a classic, a vintage of the genre. So if we can sing it to that, why not Postman Pat? It has form. All right. This next one is from Ollie Holman. He says, Hey, chaps, after our Portuguese midfield maestro did it again and pulled off a man of the match performance to secure the win against the Saints, so you can see when he sent this in, I was inspired to embarrass myself with one of the most vocally challenging tunes. Enjoy. <laughs> Jao Polina to the tune of Hallelujah. Oh, wow. Keep up the good work, <laughs> you whites from Ollie Holman. Here we go. <laughs> I like this already. I think it's quite long. I'm in. It's good. Sold. I've heard there is a midfielder that Marco bought from Iberia. <laughs> He don't really care for yellow cards, yeah. <laughs> he wins the ball with every stride. He scored a goal, made Brentford cry. In a midfield free composing, Reed Andreas. Jao <laughs> Palinia. Jao Palinia. Jao Palinia Jao Palinia Yeah <laughs> Well done Jack He tackled strong really raised the roof Sad Hendo down made him look a goof Jumped in the forest and yeah It kind of screwed ya he plays football the Fulham way from Lisbon down to the Johnny Haynes. Good, Build that's good. The statue now, our hero, Jopalinia. 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 There we go. I got my lighter out. That was a bit of a lament, <laughs> wasn't it? I, I just Ollie have... Holman. It was really good. I just have <laughs> nightmares already of how quick the Hammersmith then would sing it. <laughs> uh, I thought there was some fantastic some moments in there. In there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The moment. I mean, the, <laughs> brought him from Iberia. Big fan of yes um that that was excellent from lisbon down to the johnny haynes also excellent i enjoyed it i enjoyed it a lot that's uh, it feels like a, a nostalgic lament to say he's just signed somewhere or retired after 10 years yeah and you whip out this song. <laughs> everyone lighters up in a hammy end <laughs> really slowly um, yeah. i liked it i liked it i enjoyed it per- when he leaves us after 12 years of loyal service and um <laughs> We're, we've got we're, we're all there at the pitch as uh, as his testimonial. We Absolutely can uh, definitely weeping. crack it out. Yeah, yeah. That'll but make us, was, that'll be the final act that will just make us all cry. It was good. I enjoyed it. I um, yeah. I, I think th- there genuinely might be legs in something like that, but I think that version of it might be a wee bit too slow. 
Yeah. Um, I also think we've got a Jao Polini chant and it's great, but um, you never know. Uh, if you uh, if you stay here long enough, like Tom Kearney, you get to have two chants, yeah. uh, which is uh, extremely exciting. And uh, Jao Polini definitely warrants uh, potentially a player that has two. Do you know what I was thinking? A player that does not have a chance at all. I can't even think of what we would sing if he scored a goal. Anthony Robinson. Yeah, they, they use, um, what do you call it? The old, uh, here's to you. Tony Robinson, Fulham loves you more than you will know. Never hear it. No, because like to be honest, like when was the last time Anthony Robinson scored a goal? Was it QPR last season when we were already three one up and everyone he scored was already... against Birmingham in the six two final mm. minute? Yeah, yeah, that is true. Well done. Um, Can I flag a chant thing during the Spurs game? I'm pretty sure Issa Diop also now has the same song as Kenny Tete, which I just don't think can happen. No, we need, we need some yeah, creativity and, and Marek Rodak. Ah, right. Okay. Well, this is a problem. <laughs> it's a, it's a theme. Let's put it that way. Can we not have the economical with their chance? We still, we used ginger in Esther twice uh, for Steve Sidwell and Harrison Reed. Yeah. It was yeah, like good, when Scott Malone, of time when Scott Malone left immediately switched Scott Malone's song for Ryan Fredericks. You're like, oh, right. Okay. That's how we're doing this. Is it cool? Yeah. But both these players are on the pitch at the same time in Fulham colors. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> Yes. Waste not, want not, Peter. We've created a good job. Why, <laughs> why, uh, why not use it twice? That's 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 the motto. <laughs> what was? Do you remember there was that yop? Do you remember the yop? The um, the milkshake. <laughs> yeah, they had a yop. yeah yop. We could just do the yop. I don't know how you yeah. go from there. It used to be yop me mama. So you go <laughs> diop me mama. That's fine. They'll do. <laughs> I know that George. You remember last week he was saying that he's got a this will catch on. Yeah. It's not, to, I don't think it's for Diop, but it's definitely to the tune of Yop, Yop Me Mama. Mama. But it's not, <laughs> that comes from yeah, it's a- obviously, um, it's obviously not written by the Yop Milkshake people. <laughs> like, obviously it's a cover. No, it's a South African like song. It was something, I think it was something to do with like the apartheid movement or something like that. And, and Yop then, shamelessly used it to promote their milkshakes. That it worked. <laughs> It worked, didn't it? I'm still talking about it. that. Must have been ten years ago. Oh yeah, whoever created that song is living on their own private island somewhere. Uh, final, this will catch on from Robert Coughlin. He said, "Here's a chart for our Swiss Army knife of a player, Bobby D. Cordova Reed. He slots in where needed and always does a solid job for us. There are no fancy lyrics. It's a to the point song when he scores or does something of note. Trying to get all the syllables of Bobby Decadova Reed could be seen as quite tricky, but we've managed it. I've sent a recording with my two sons, Georgie and." Hamez, James, to give the atmos of a crowd singing it. The song is The Yellow Submarine, and the trick is to start slow, build speed, and double clap after each one. Don't worry, the um, Hammers with them will do that for you. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, we never need any invitation to speed up a song. Uh, Robert also says he bumped into Jack after the Palace game and gave him the suggestion, but he looked like he'd been really enjoying himself, as we all had, and I thought he might forget. I assume it wasn't me because I wasn't at the Palace game. I assume he means Jack Kelly. I think he must mean Jack Kelly. My first thought was, that, I don't think he went to Palace. I was definitely um, in, in, in the West, in the West, deep in the West. Yeah. Okay. He says, keep up the good work. And that's all the best from Bobby. So let's hear his chant for Bobby Deckard over Reed. We all love Bobby Deckard over Reed. over Reed. over Reed. We all love Bobby Deckard over it. Deckard over it. Deckard over it. Yeah, I mean, it does work. I I think, I I mean, it sadly clashes with my we all dream of a team of Bobby Reeds. So uh, (laughs) so I have to downplay it. But yeah, that might work work better. Might be actually better than mine. At least on this, it gets uh, gets his name right, doesn't it? That is true. That is true. But sometimes you have to take a little bit of artistic license with these things. Like like in the Hallelujah where Zhao Polinia became Zhao Polin for a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The only thing I'd say wrong with the song is it doesn't, there's not enough emphasis on the D. Bobby D called Overeed, as Gary Weaver once coined, and now everyone says it. Um, yeah, I, don't I think know. that is actually how to say his name in fairness. And I think that comes from Bobby. I, I, I would but... like to apply. I've just looked up the, the history of that song that I've erroneously called the Yop song. And um, I would actually like to apologize to Eddie Grant. Um, his Gimme Hope Joanna was actually the song. And I have just 
absolutely butchered it. So my deepest apologies. Called it the Yop song. Yeah, no, it's pure, <laughs> it's pure, it's pure philistine behaviour, and it's the kind of thing I would hate. So therefore, I've got, uh, I've got to apologise for on, on, you know, early on. Don't worry, George mentioned it to me last week. We were on the tube, and uh, I was like, "What the Yop song?" And he was like, <laughs> "It's not the Yop song, mate." Good stuff. Great. We're all Philistines. Maybe Excellent. maybe we'll get George to send in the Yop song for uh, for next week. That'll do for the podcast today. Um, I asked the Telegram group for some uh, pod name uh, suggestions. Um, Jack, do you like any of these? Uh, Jack says Wembley Arch beckons. Uh, we've also got Joe CB says cup run loading. Um, Aaron Lamb says shit Netflix series. <laughs> Um, which was uh, a bit out there. Ah, that's Never. a bit harsh. It was a great Netflix series. What are you on about? <laughs> and has the greatest moment of all time where Chris Coleman um, uh, berates someone and says, I'm a married man with four kids. <laughs> Who are you calling a wanker? Um, and I thought this one was the best one. Christian Liedberg with Black Cat Chat. Nice. Yeah, that's good stuff. I like that. So I th- I thought that was the best pod name. So uh, thank you very much, Christian. And thank you to my guest today, Peter Rutzler. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. Good to, uh, good to have made the bus. It's good that you did. And Jack Collins, thank you. Thank you. It's good to have Peter back, obviously. Uh, let's hope that a black cat going from left to right is lucky this weekend, shall we? Indeed. Uh, George is going to be hosting the podcast after the Sunderland game, all the reaction uh, to the FA Cup match. And then, as I mentioned earlier, we'll be back on the Thursday Club this time next week, reviewing everything that happens on transfer deadline day. So have a lovely weekend, whatever you're doing. And come on, you whites. You whites.